I V M. Welcome to Global Victoria Tech Talks on IVM Podcast, presented by Global Victoria, inspiring global possibilities. I'm Arun Dugirala, and today I'm going to be speak to Daniel Bisaya, the founder of Wicked Witch Software. We're going to be digging into the dynamics of mobile gaming, the role of independent studios in the ecosystem, and how the careers in gaming are expanding not just through the businesses operating in it, but through physical hubs like the one in Victoria. We with Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Hello. Good afternoon. Well, it's afternoon for me. Uh, it's it's almost afternoon for us as well. So I think we we kind of hit somewhere uh, in a weird way. I think early afternoon for me, late afternoon for you, I guess. I can also I can see the sunshine <laughs> coming through uh, your window there as well. Whereas uh, it's uh, rainy and overcast and a typical typical Melbourne Melbourne afternoon here. You know, when when we did we did speak some time back before we we start of the recording and, and what. And I and I was thinking about all the stuff which I want to talk to you about. But I, what I wanted to kick this thing off with is, um, I, I'd love to hear about your journey, um, in the gaming space and how, um, that's kind of uh, you know evolved over the years. And I, I'd love to start with that and 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 how uh, Wicked which happened and, and everything else. That's a good place to start. Not a problem. Uh, you'll have to cut me off because. Talking about myself is one of my favorite subjects, so uh, please, uh, <laughs> if I'm if I'm let go too long, uh, look out! I'll, I'll I'll bore everyone to death. So uh, make, make make sure you keep it moving. All right. Um, yeah. Well, it all started when I was uh, six years old. Uh, actually, this is the truth. It did it did start when I was six years old. Um, I was given a Commodore computer uh, for Christmas. I thought it was from Santa Claus uh, at the time. Um, uh, so I started playing the video games. I think there was like five video games on a cassette cassette deck. Um, I always like to think about that computer because it had, uh, I think it had 16 kilobytes of RAM, uh, but only about three and a half kilobytes of RAM was, was available. The rest was taken up with the operating system and, and so forth. Um, so after I played those games, I had fond memories of Choplifter and Cops and Robbers and uh, a couple of classics. I think I think they had like a Pac-Man clone on there or something something like this. I uh, ran out of things to do. So the, there was a manual that came with the computer and it, it taught programming uh, in the language of BASIC. So language of BASIC mm. was preloaded onto the Commodore. It was a Commodore VIC-20, which was uh, then followed by the more popular Commodore 64. So uh, when I was really young, like, you know, literally the first few years of primary school between the ages of six and 10, uh, I started to just write very simple, basic programs. Uh, uh, text adventures usually was uh, where I started uh, writing and programming. I don't know if they still make text adventures anymore or if uh, anyone remembers. They should, I feel. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They, they, they were pretty impressive back, back in the day. Uh, you know, your, your imagination would, uh, would, would, take, would take over. Um, so we were all, always, uh, the whole family used to sit around actually and play these text adventures uh, together. Um, and they were very, very simple. So that, that, that's where it started. That's where the love of video games started. And, you know, and then, for years after that, I you know I would be playing arcade machines at uh, you know at the local fish and chip shop or at the you know uh, at the local pool hall uh, where they had some pinball machines and um, uh, computer games and I would just love the graphics. I would just always love 
you know, Double Dragon and Golden Axe and all these kind of classic uh, 16-bit, I think it was a 16-bit era. Uh, uh, and I was forever at home trying, trying to make games as good as the ones that I was playing uh, in, in the arcade parlors, basically. Um, in high school, uh, I, was, uh, I got a bit better. I was making games with graphics and I was making like, you know, um, uh, you know shooting games and side, side, side-scrolling um, games uh still in in basic uh i've then upgraded to a commodore amiga i'd always had commodore computers uh up until that point but there was very little resources uh i like to remind people that you know this was like nine in the early 1990s so there was no cd-rom drives you know there was no mobile phones there was no internet uh to speak of uh, at all so i found it very difficult to uh, learn how to do programming and learn how to uh, make make games. Uh, you know, I went to the local library. They probably had three books on programming. Uh, I used to go to the news agency and, you know, buy every magazine I could uh, on computer games. Some magazines had programs you could type in yourself uh, at the back. And I would just, you know, I, I just really taught myself from um, the, the few books that I had. Uh, I, and I couldn't meet anybody who that I knew um, that lived in my area. That, that made video game. I tried joining a few clubs uh, and share kind of uh, shareware sites. I kind of became part of a shareware scene. Uh, I tried to uh, sell some of my games via shareware as well, but it was it was very difficult because it was all through the mail and through the posts and through clubs and, and people that you knew. So, so I knew I wanted to make games. So I went to college. There was no, there was no games no games courses or multimedia or any of this did not exist then. So um. I did a business programming uh, course in college where I learned the um, colorful language of COBOL, uh, business-oriented language uh, that some some people may remember. You've literally spoken about the two languages I learned starting off, which is COBOL, uh, a little bit of it, then BASIC. There you go. And then eventually you get to C++ is what happened. C and C++. That's the exact same journey as me. Uh, if you remember COBOL, you had to put things in the margins because that language actually came from the old punch card system. That's actually how old <laughs> COBOL was. <laughs> uh, this is around, uh, I remember when Windows 95 came out uh, around around this time. Um, uh, but we, we used to develop, uh, deliver our cartridges, our, our ROMs that we would build mm. um, to our clients who were in the United Kingdom. And we would do that over a 2400 bulletin board um, mm. uh, system <laughs> just to, uh, before the internet. So it has, it has come a long way. Um, it wasn't long after that that uh, I worked at a couple of other studios uh, in Melbourne and that's when I started using C++ and uh, mm. you know started writing physics and then 3D video cards came out and oh man. Uh, I was in love with 3D graphics when 3D video yeah. cards came out. I remember seeing the, the Voodoo 1, uh, which I think might have been NVIDIA. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was NVIDIA, but uh, um, those first graphics cards just blew my mind when, 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 I, saw, when I saw these graphics uh, and just how beautiful they looked. Uh, and that got me really, really excited in, into 3D. Uh, so it was, uh, and everything after that, um, you know, that was pretty well the end of. Um, 2D and sprite-based games, and everything everything became became 3D. Um, so after working at those studios for a few years, I made lots of friends and uh, other people in the industry, programmers and artists and sound engineers and designers, and um, we can talk a little bit more about all the different disciplines that are in mm-hmm. um, in yeah. video games uh, a little bit later. But um, uh, and then I was crazy enough to start my own studio. Mm. 
like an idiot. And what led you to do that? Uh, uh, because, and I ask you this also because, you know, there is this, and I think it goes for every single space, right? There is this whole thing about, okay, are you part of a larger studio? Do you want to create an independent studio? This whole conversation be- between independent studios and what they kind of create versus what your, um, I, I don't even want to call them larger, right? Say more traditional maybe would be a word to use, or I don't know if, what the technical term for that is anymore, because I think those lines overlap many times. Um, so uh, what what made you do that shift? But also, how did the, how, how, how does the functioning kind of different uh, differ in that sense? Um, that's an excellent question. And, you know, I'm not even uh, 100% sure uh, of the answer. I think, um, I think uh, I was a little bit naive. Um, uh, I thought I had too much confidence in myself. I thought, you know, I could do everything better than, uh, <laughs> than the places <laughs> I, was wor- I was working. But also I think it was for, for uh, creative freedom, uh, as a matter of fact. Like, you know, I enjoyed yeah. working on car games and I enjoyed working on, the, uh, on you know, um, adventure games and licensed games uh, and all of this. But um, at the end of the day, I think I was a designer and I wanted to create my mm. own uh, video game. So I think, I think it was a bit of a dream uh, at the start uh, that me and my friends were like, oh, we'll go out, uh, we'll be ourselves, we'll develop something amazing, it'll be a hit, and then we'll all drive around in Ferraris and be rich and famous. <laughs> uh, I think this was the dream, you see. Um, and, and to be honest, in the start, it, it, it kind of was a bit like that at the, at the start. Um, we were more like, a, more like a club, you know, more like just a mm. group of friends. It didn't feel like work, you know. Um, we, we could start anytime we liked. We could work all through the night if we liked. Uh, we kind of had our freedom. We could, we could pause and just play some, uh, you know, uh, I remember World of Warcraft came out and we just stopped what we were doing and we just spent like two days, day, night, day, night, just playing, playing World of Warcraft. Um, you know, we could, we could have a beer in the afternoon if we wanted. Like all of these things um, it did feel like true independence to us um and that was that was really good for for probably for the first year or two but then you know what happened um uh, the reality of needing to make money uh started uh, to to sink in yeah uh, you mentioned world of warcraft um and uh, you you did find some of your early um, employees of world of warcraft uh, actually that- directly that is completely true. More than one, I think. So um, uh, we, we loved World of Warcraft. I mean, we love all the Blizzard games, uh, uh, the, the RTS Warcrafts, uh, uh, almost everything that Blizzard did. We're big, big fans of theirs. Um, and World of Warcraft, uh, I remember I played it at E3 early on and I didn't quite get it, but uh, when, it, when it came out, I used to play Ultima Online as well as a big fan of MMO RPG. Mm. Uh, games and when World of Warcraft first came out, uh, we got right into it. Like uh, it was the best game we had to play. We played it day and night. It was the beta, uh, and everyone in the studio, yeah, we all created accounts and started playing. One of the guys uh, ended up having a guild uh, and being a, a guild master, and uh, we had a few people um, in that guild master. And then we found out years later that they lived locally near us. You know, they were interested in video games. They were just as passionate uh, as we were. So, um, uh, in the end, when there were job offerings that were coming up, um, my, you know, my who, guy who's now a programmer, who's now our two IC, would talk to them in the guild in World of Warcraft. Uh, mm. And I think they were doing nothing much but just playing World Warcraft all day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and run, run, helping run the guild. 
in, in Warcraft. Um, uh, and that's right. So we ended up offering them jobs. Uh, and I think one or two of them still work with us like 10 years mm-hmm. later. Uh, and we, we met. Just goes to show that, you know, the bond of uh, and the love of video games um, is very, very strong in Wicked Witch. That's kind of, you know, the most important thing is is, is your passion and, and your love mm. for video games so much so that, yeah, we hired people through World of Warcraft. That's right. Uh, and, and, you know, even when you look at the entire space, uh, obviously started off with, with PC gaming and, and then consoles came on. But I'd say the real blowout of like everybody getting onto it happened when it got onto mobile phones and when, when, when phones caught up to, um, you know, being for people really being able to game on it. Um, but what I want to ask you is that as that transition happened, um, what do you feel kind of changed about the ecosystem in terms of just um, not just the kind of games that have been created and the kind of people playing it, but just from the sense of all the possibilities? So what, what changed as that happened? That's a great question, uh, and it absolutely did change. So, you know, when I w- worked in those other studios, we, we were working on console, like whether it was handheld, like Game Boy, or was uh, it was PlayStation. Uh, there was no Xbox then. I don't think it was a, you know, Sega. It was a Nintendo Entertainment System and the, um, mm-hmm. and the Sega Master Drive, Mega Drive, uh, whatever it was uh, back then. Um, and, and, yeah, the, and the first PlayStations. Uh, so we were uh, that, and that was the only way you did it. Uh, even PC games weren't that popular because this was before the Steam store. So um, there were a lot of PC games, but um, you know you had to have your own drivers and all of this stuff before Windows. Um, so we were we got started right at the very start of mobile games. Um, so actually, when those first Nokia phones came out uh, that had mm. Snake, that had Snake, yeah. uh, the Nokia Thirty, the Nokia Forty, and the Nokia Sixty, I think they were called. Uh, and that, then the Engage came out. That's right, the Engage exactly, which was a which yeah. was a Nokia Sixty. So uh, they came with Java. Uh, they had Java uh, uh, on on the machines, um, and I'd never uh, we had never written anything in Java. Um, we were working with our uh, Australian carrier here, Telstra, uh, and they I think came to us and said, "Hey." Uh, can you make some games on on these phones? And we never really looked at it before. Uh, so I remember myself and the two I see, we stayed up all night learning Java. We just taught ourselves Java in, in one night. Uh, and, I, uh, and I said, if we can get input uh, and do some processing and then draw to the screen these three functions, uh, then yeah. we can make a game. Uh, that, 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 that is all we need. So um, uh, the first game we made, I think we stayed up all day and all night and we made a little game called uh, Gothic Graveyard, uh, um, a little kind of um, like a little net hack, a little a mini dungeon crawler is what it actually was. Uh, <laughs> it's 64, 64 kilobytes of RAM for all the sound and all the graphics and uh, all the code it had to fit in. Uh, and that's when it started. Uh, and then it just went, uh, you know, before, before long. Uh, I think in the three years after the N30, we did about a hundred titles uh, for mm. um, that. We did some engage titles as well, and every six months, a new phone would come out that had now now had two hundred fifty six kilobytes of RAM, now five hundred twelve kilobytes of RAM, now one megabyte of RAM. They were yeah. getting bigger, bigger, and bigger and bigger. Um, and in the end, uh, we started doing these projects like three or four days to make a game. Um, then they became a few weeks. Then they became a few months, and pretty soon, these productions on the mobile phones were as big as the games we used to make on on Game Boy uh, as well, which you know used to cost uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars actually. Um, so it was moving very rapidly, 
and then the iPhone came out. <laughs> mm. yeah. uh, and, uh, and man, when the iPhone came out, I just remember seeing the device and using the device for the first time. I think it was an iPhone two was the first one that I saw. Uh, I'd never had a, I'd never had an iPod or iPod touch uh, myself. So I wasn't that familiar with the, the their predecessors. Uh, but as soon as I saw that, t- that touch screen, cause do you remember how convoluted all the menu systems were yeah. using a keypad yeah. to access menus and all yeah. of a sudden you could just press on the thing you wanted. And, and remember all the shortcuts that you have to do. And that's right. And it just, it just changed, changed, changed the world uh, is what it did. Not, um, it, 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 it changed the world. And before we knew it, uh, everyone was asking us to make iPhone games. And then, you know, credit to Apple, the app store itself, the fact that they had their own shop that you could independently publish your own game uh, to the shop. So it means developers all of a sudden mm. had an access to a marketplace of you know, hundreds of millions of customers uh, yeah. for the first time ever without needing to go through um, you know, a publisher and a manufacturer and get discs or cartridges printed. It was all electronic. Um, it was absolutely amazing. Change, change the world. Uh, so when that change happened, um, did you also see the, the kind of people and the kind of careers that were there in, in gaming also kind of scale up? Because um, I'd imagine stuff like, you know, obviously, just because everything was for touch and uh, let's say UI, how, how UI works, how, how, mm. how your entire, I think, design and graphics and, and mm. gameplay design um, all of that would have kind of scaled out a lot more. And, and I'm just picking a few um, which come to my mind, but uh, I'd love to hear what kind of careers kind of opened up with that happening and how that translates maybe to even PC and console. I think I think even those got a lot yeah. more dynamic as this kind of came in. Um, absolutely. I mean, you know, there were a, there were a handful of games that, uh, that did it themselves, like games like um, Fruit Ninja and, and mm-hmm. Angry Birds. Angry Birds, oh, yeah. I think, was a, well, the first game to have a billion... A billion players, uh, and mm-hmm. that would not have been possible without the Apple ecosystem. I think a few. I think a few things. I think culturally, yes, uh, the style and the simplicity, and you know, the ca- casual gaming. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think. I think really, really evolved, and as you said, uh, then transcended into other other markets and, and consoles. Uh, there was a much bigger take up of females uh, playing video games, which we mm-hmm. hadn't seen. Uh, used to be heavily dominated male uh, audience mm-hmm. uh, which was really great to open up the diversity in in um, in the target audience and the types of games that were, were coming out they weren't all just you know shooting and killing and beating up anymore yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to to, gen- to generalize uh, a little yeah. bit which is which so you got a lot different content a lot more storytelling and i think that did permeate through um, through lots of consoles uh, so the content was changing then to your point, I think the developers changed as well. Uh, it became so accessible, you know, instead of multi-million dollar productions, it went back to, you know, a handful of small in- indie people mm-hmm. could could make a game together now. Uh, you know, they had the, the language itself, Objective-C, uh, and, you know, um, was just a friendlier language to program in. It was a lot easier. There were a lot more tools uh, around. So all of a sudden, you got people, um, you know, out of university or breaking away from a bigger game studio to do their own mm-hmm. independent thing. So, um, and that was, that was the, the rise of the indie developer, I think was sparked yeah. from, from that also. More on this right after the break. This show is presented 
by Global Victoria, the state government of Victoria's trade agency. Explore the opportunities by contacting the Victorian Government Trade and Investment Office in India. Complementing India's exponential growth in the gaming industry, Global Victoria, the state government of Victoria's premier trade facilitation agency through its trade and investment offices in India, is pursuing strategic partnerships in this emerging sector. Victoria has a strong reputation in the gaming world, with Melbourne being home to more than 50% of Australia's gaming studios, hosting one of the largest digital gaming events in the world, Melbourne International Games Week, offering 29 games-related courses from 20 institutions and producing global hits such as Moving Out, Crossy Road, Florence, Flight Control, and BAFTA Award-winning Untitled Goose Game. To discover options to study, invest, or partner. Please reach out to their offices in Bengaluru and Mumbai. In the Victoria space, what have we seen kind of come up over time, um, both from say an education standpoint, career standpoint, just like the overall ecosystem, because um, it is a large part. I mean, just the number of um, studios, the number of courses, etc., has kind of scaled up. So, how how has that kind of grown, and and what has that kind of added to? I think it also adds to the community, right? There's an online community in Gavi. It's always a Uh, I'd say a, a, a more physical community of sorts um, as well when when you're in the same space. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, I think we're quite lucky to uh, to be in Victoria. Actually, uh, the uh, there's quite a few um, agencies. Uh, they've changed names uh, over the, over the years, both state and and federal. Um, but uh, uh, absolutely, uh, Film Victoria springs to mind as uh, one of um, the the earliest supporters of the games industry who. You know, they support us with um, uh, grants uh, and uh, kind of mentorship programs uh, and uh, things like this. Uh, during Melbourne International Games Week, they sponsor you know um, women in games and games for change uh, initiatives, which are which are really important uh, to bring together the diverse audience uh, that that is uh, the, the game creators uh, in. In Victoria and and Australia, um, the Game Developers Association of Australia, which ran for uh, you know fifteen or or twenty years, which uh, uh, I was a member of, um, did its best to uh, you know try and um, you know uh, shine some light on on the on the growing mm. uh, industry of talented people uh, uh, all all around Australia, uh, and the IGEA uh, also now is um, kind of uh, representing the developers. So we've been lucky to have some government support, uh, the federal research and development tax uh, offset, uh, and then you know uh, these organisations and and communities um, uh, as well. The um, The IGDA uh, as well. There's a uh, there's been been quite a few over the years, and then we all get together and and celebrate uh, during Melbourne International Games Week, mm. where we we all come together. It wouldn't be wouldn't um, be possible without uh, everyone giving their time and their support. And so yeah, uh, you know, Wicked Witch Wicked is very uh, thankful from all, all the support we've had from uh, government uh, and colleagues actually, uh, because you know making games is a tough business. At the end of the day, video games was. Uh, Was one of what the, the fourth or fifth biggest industry in the world behind uh, mm. behind something like uh, entertainment industry? I'm talking about um, mm. behind like uh, gambling, music, and film. Uh, mm. And then I remember uh, a few years later, video games was only behind music and film. Uh, and then mm. I remember it was only behind music or film or whichever one. And then I remember I think it must be film. Yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was film. Uh, and then I remember it was bigger. It was bigger than Hollywood. Uh, Yeah, and that was quite some time ago. So it's it's taken a while. Uh, I think I think video games kind of crept up on everyone. <laughs> yeah. No one expected it. 
uh, mm-hmm. apart from the kids. I'd love to get a point of view on this. Many people say that it grew because people who gamed were online and they connected with other people who were in the gaming space. And that online community helped in two ways. One is it helped people find people who enjoyed the stuff they did. But also in many ways, it also kind of helped develop the kind of games that people wanted to play. And so you, you kind of, I think the, the online community kind of, I guess, brought the world a lot closer and that's what made the games that we have today. Uh, absolutely like uh you know um playing games uh, is fun and i I don't want to get too deep or uh philosophical or psychological about it but you know i think for a lot of people video games uh, at a young age can become a lot of people's uh best friends uh and so people develop a very deep and personal bond uh with video games uh, that that usually lasts uh, lasts a lifetime, uh, you know. Especially if they're, you know, maybe not so good at school or not so good at sport or you know mm-hmm. uh, other things in their life aren't going so well. Video games uh, are always there for them, and I believe that 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 creates uh, you know a very a very strong uh, appreciation and relationship with video games. Uh, so then, when you multiply that with being able to, to connect with other people that feel this mm-hmm. way uh, about video games uh, as well, um, it's it's a very powerful thing. Uh, to to be able to share that uh, kind of you know your intimate connection uh, with video games uh, then with other people who feel feel the same way, absolutely. And 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 if you if you look at your own journey with with Wicked, which how was um how was the kind of games you built and, and the kind of team you had kind of evolved over time? Sure. And and I mean look at the fact that okay you started off with World of Warcraft and and getting a bunch of people who you played with sure. onto the team to now um. How has it been from, okay, these are kind of people we have and how we scale up and these are the kind of games we develop and and a, and a little bit more into that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, like I said, it was a bit more like a club and people I knew from college and industry and people that we met online kind of all coming together. And uh, uh, what we were doing then is, I think we were imitating. Uh, we were looking at the games we loved uh, and we were trying to make our version of that or something mm. cool like that. You know, we loved RTS, yeah. so let's, let's make an RTS. We love what this game does and this game does. Let's try and, you know, uh, do something a bit, a bit different or, you know, bring something original to it. But, uh, but effectively, we were being influ- strongly influenced by the games that, that we love to play. Um, mm. and, uh, uh, and then, like I said, we realized that we had to make money and we had to, we had to feed ourselves and, you know, pay the rent. Uh, mm. so, uh, so then it just, we just started... Um, you know, uh, just getting work and doing doing game contracts. Uh, some of those we found locally. Some we found at uh, E3 or GDC by traveling um, uh, overseas to different trade shows and conferences. Uh, some we found through like uh, online uh, job boards uh, and, mm. and th- things like this. We so we we did anything, uh, any any job that was basically you know uh, to do with developing software and graphics for uh, uh, games, mostly, uh, we would do. We did jigsaw puzzle games. We did solitaire games. We did boys' games, girls' games, you know, board games, uh, uh, anything, uh, anything, mm. any any work we could get. But on the side, we were always trying to make our 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 game, you know, our our, our latest and greatest uh, invention. We were we were always trying to do, um, and this continued probably for quite a few years. I would say probably about six or seven years until, until there was about eight or nine of us. Uh, and then we thought, okay, um, you know, the, the business has been going for a while. Uh, I, I think it's time to maybe mature a bit more and to grow up uh, a little bit and to um, uh, still have fun. We still wanted to have mm-hmm. fun and be passionate about what we did, but it was time to not, tr- 
maybe maybe change of focus you know it's maybe more like a like a hobby or a club and it was like okay now we need to treat this like like a proper business um uh, I brought in a friend of mine uh, as a business advisor who was from the music industry because I had never been trained in um, in running a business right or or accounting or financials I, I was a computer programmer that's what I was trained in I didn't really uh, I had only taught myself how to run a business actually do you know how I learned how to run a business yeah. um, I, I learned <laughs> it from playing Monopoly and from playing uh, Warcraft on how to manage an economy uh, and from playing SimCity. That's how I knew if you're in the red or in the black uh, and, and how to bu- balance a budget. I think that's a fabulous example for anyone who <laughs> wants to learn how to build a business. Play Monopoly, play World of Warcraft and, and yes. SimCity. I think that makes total sense to anyone who's ever played any of those games. <laughs> That was all I knew, man. Like uh, I, that, that, that was all. That was that was my world. So I just applied that. Um, but yeah, uh, that could only get me uh, so so far. Uh, I still use some of those principles uh, today, uh, actually. Um, but now, now I'm surrounded by uh, uh, people. Uh, you know, we've got great accountants, and we have lawyers, and we have business advisors, and uh, and a great executive team uh, within the studio. So. Uh, uh, eventually, eventually, um, you realize you can't do everything yourself, uh, and you need, you know, you need the ex- everyone expertise in in their field to uh, yeah. to get a bit better. So, um, so then, you know, we we basically formalized what we did. Um, we started working on bigger projects like uh, the Australian Rules Football uh, games on, on on platforms and consoles. Uh, we did ports and conversion works uh, from um, uh, film titles to. Um, to console games, uh, but always in the side, we were always, always making it, making our own game. Uh, uh, we made a game called Catapult King um, that was published by um, uh, EA Mobile. Uh, they were called Chillinga mm-hmm. back then. And it did really well. And we actually made some money, uh, which was a nice change. Uh, so, you know, we just kept investing everything we would make from work for hire projects or from our original games that were successful. We just kept investing that back, back into the company. Uh, with, uh, that was hiring more people, getting more talented programmers and artists, uh, building more new technology, uh, investing in another game and just all kept, kept going back in. And so that's, that's how it kind of evolved from, you know, just us kicking around in the garage to you know, having a proper o- office, paying our bills and, uh, you know, uh, and the, the projects were bigger, you know, uh, big budgets, big deadlines, uh, you know, big, big expectations. So, you know, you, uh, you can't muck around when you, when you, when you're dealing with uh, projects of that size, um, you you also did um, and, and have done a bunch of work um, in India as well, right? If you you done a bunch of stuff with with, with Reliance and and, and uh, I'd love to kind of um, understand what all you kind of guys have done, um, what your interactions with the Indian gaming community have been like, and and, and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So we started working with um, uh, a couple of Indian companies. Um, Quite a, quite a few years ago, around the, in those Nokia, in those Nokia days, actually, um, uh, I know you guys, you know, kind of like cricket uh, mm-hmm. over there. <laughs> kind of uh, is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we actually made um, uh, Session Tendulkar's uh, Tapathon and uh, uh, very small uh, batting games. We made we made a few of those. Um, I actually like cricket myself. It's a I'm not a huge sports guy, but cricket is is probably my favourite sport. You know, the Australians we're not too bad at cricket uh, from time to time uh, as well. So. Um, uh, so we, that was our first introduction to working with India uh, and that was all done through the internet, uh, and, um, and on, on the telephone, uh, originally, um, 
I finally got to meet those guys years later when um, I came across to India uh, a few years ago on a government trade mission. Yeah, I think it was the, the Victorian government that um, supported that. Uh, forgive me if it was federal, but I think I think it was a state uh, a state in, initiative uh, because uh, we have quite a few trade missions that are both state uh, and federal to different places. So I was lucky enough to go. I think it was part of a sports technology mission, actually. So it wasn't specifically video games. It was about all kinds of sports technology and us having made cricket games and football games and rugby games uh, before we, um, mm. we, we came across uh, and we got introduced to, to a bunch of companies uh, in India. Um, we had also, we also work with uh, some graphic teams in India um, as well. A company called Technicolor, which is a huge, uh, a huge uh, company that provides um, mostly 3d graphics uh, i believe mm. uh, they help us make uh, all our three uh, all our players uh, i think they i think they even work on fifa uh, as well and mm. uh, they they help us uh, with that uh, and it was on that trade mission that we got introduced to reliance um my understanding that Reliance is a huge group of companies, uh, yeah. one, one of the biggest corporations in the world or, some, or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Massive, massive company. Uh, but they, they were kind enough to, to meet with us. Uh, and since then, uh, with some uh, help of um, some government uh, assistance uh, as well on the communications, uh, we've been talking for, for a couple of years. Uh, and eventually we um, developed uh, one of our most popular games, which is Catapult King, uh, for Reliance's um, set-top box, uh, actually, um, which is a, um, yeah, a device that you plug uh, into, your, into your television and it's connected to the internet and you can download and uh, play, play games on that uh, as yeah. well as a range of other services. So, um, uh, I, uh, so we have done that game and I believe, in fact, we were just talking to them recently. Um, I think it's going to be launching in the next few weeks, uh, as a matter oh. of fact. So, uh, good timing. So anyone listening to this, um, uh, and if you have a Reliant set-top box, you should go out and, uh, and download Catapult King and, uh, yeah. um, and we, we look, uh, they've been great to work with so far. Uh, we're, we're also talking about bringing some of our other titles um, across. So, yeah, so we've worked with uh, quite, a, quite a few Indian companies over the years, and uh, um, I hope it continues. And when you look at the broader gaming space and where it's at right now, um, if you had to kind of say, okay, this is what, what you're seeing as trends looking towards the future, um, these trends and, and careers looking towards the future and what's kind of opening up, what would those be? Okay. That's a, that's a bit of a, a loaded question. <laughs> what, what is the future going to be like? Who can predict? Uh, when I first started using these um, VR uh, headsets, I thought I've been following VR for about 20 years um, and it was never a great experience. Uh, when I used the, the recent uh, Oculus and Vive headsets, I thought, wow, VR is is finally here. Everybody's going to own one of these, but uh, but actually the take up is mm, pretty um, low. Yeah, is 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 kind of slow. Yeah, that's right. My grandmom's a, a big fan. Oh yes, yeah. My, right. my, my ninety year old grandmother uh, wears a VR headset quite a, quite that's some uh, quite a few. Uh, I'd say I don't know if it's uh, quite a few hours or it's it's minutes depends depending on the day, I guess. And she's watches. So she's always loved to travel. She didn't travel too much in her yes. early years. So she traveled yes. in the last in the last decade or so. She actually gets to experience different places and and different um and and and, and she used to be a a botanist. So she likes to uh, and and she has like uh, an entire a greenhouse and stuff. So she actually loves to see 
gardens and and flowers from across the world right. it was an interesting experience yes. for someone who like she's 90 and like, i i i bought her that for a birthday a couple of years ago and she's just like in it all the time and yeah so i, I actually we uh, we are friends with another studio that provides vr experiences um to uh, to aged care facilities uh, actually for a very very similar purpose um for and all those travel apps see the eiffel yeah. tower or see the grand canyon and things like that um because you know it, it is a, it is a pretty thrilling um medium yeah. you know uh you know when when you use it uh i think it just you know it still has some problems uh so you know it's hard to predict what what is going to uh be next uh you know there was a lot of talk about you know is the playstation 5 and the xbox series x Uh, is this the last console mm. uh actually you know uh, is everything going to turn to streamed yeah. gaming and and downloading gaming um like with google the google stadia yeah. platform and things like this um <clears throat> is every country in the world ready for that uh, with the with the, the the internet and bandwidth personally i don't think so but that these these are the things that are uh, are getting ready you know the the developments in artificial intelligence you know the and machine machine learning uh that you know i i think we're only seeing the very beginnings mm-hmm. of that now um uh, voice recognition and uh, and assistance like just look at Siri on your iPhone and now Cortana on 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 Windows or whatever you know all these technologies i think are difficult to predict you don't know they all seem amazing you don't know which ones are really going to penetrate and and change and disrupt mm-hmm. who could have predicted uber mm-hmm. uh you know uh, just uh, uh, out of nowhere it's uh it's it's very very difficult um what i uh, can uh predict is the second part mm. of your question which was you know um uh, the kind of the yeah. jobs and the roles and 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 the disciplines um it's good to talk about that um i think um you know i don't think programming will ever completely go away um you know i mean it may abstract to different layers uh with there are a lot of tools now like unity and unreal engine that help you uh make video games without needing to know as much low level programming but at the end of the day someone still has to program those yeah uh and and then someone still has to fix bugs in those and someone has to still adapt them uh, away so you know computer science and knowing how computers work uh i think that's going to stay for a while it might it might change languages and it might change formats but you know the role of the programmer uh i think or the end, the software engineer uh i think is I mean, that that's the main thing that we do right uh because ga- video games uh, are programs so you need programmers to make yeah. them um the second component is art you know um video games are a very interesting mix of science <laughs> and art you know uh, is the programming uh, like in all kinds of software but then there's the art like in film and music and storytelling and video games rely on these two very different things to come together in in a unique way um so the art the art will never go away the storytelling uh, will never go away and that comes in lots of forms you know we've got um concept artists people who still draw draw our pictures um uh we have 3D modelers uh we have sculptors uh, we have animators mm. we have texture artists we have environment artists we have lighting artists uh you know there's a whole heap of art that's just on the visual side ui design ux uh, design all of that kind of falls under the art side of things um uh, there's sound and sound engineering as well which is uh, 
you know, sometimes gets overlooked uh, or left to the last yeah. minute in video games, but it's a, a very, very important part. There's real, there's real science behind the way sounds are created, especially when you talk about 5.1 mm-hmm. surround, uh, surround sound. So when you turn, you can hear your enemy creeping <laughs> up behind you, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, uh, and then there's, you know, um, all the other roles like um, quality assurance and testing is a massive, massive part. Very difficult job. A lot of people think, I like video games. I'm, uh, I'm used to playing video games. I'll, I'll go and get a job as a video game tester. But, um, but actually, you need very strong analytical skills. Uh, and you need a lot of patience. Like playing a game is fun when you're doing it for fun. But when you have to play that game, Day in, day out, over and over, the same level, again and again and again, trying to find bugs. It's a, it's a, a test of, uh, of your patience. Um, uh, yeah. You know, people who make maps, people who um, you know, do design, people uh, who write um, you know, um, uh, AI patterns uh, and movement, people who create puzzles. Then there's producers and project managers and uh, you know, all of these things. So there's... Um, there's a very wide range of disciplines that all come together in video games. And, uh, and I think, you know, if anything, uh, video games need more of these now. Like, you know, it used to be that the a lead progr- uh, video game was made by one person. He would do the programming, he would do the art, and he would do the sound, and he would manage it himself. Whereas, you know, some of our productions, we've got about 70 staff. Uh, some of our productions are 30, 40, 50 people for one, two, three years. I'm not even talking about Call of Duty <laughs> or, you know, or, or any of these uh, huge games, which are hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people involved. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot, lots of yeah. jobs, lots of things. Yeah, we've gone through, I feel, so many different parts of this entire space and in your journey and everything else. Um, but what, what I've enjoyed the most is the fact that uh, I think anyone who's listened to this entire conversation kind of gets, um, A, how things were and how they are have become but rather where things are really going with with just like all the aspects that have kind of come in through mobile gaming through everything else that's happening right now um it's been it's been super fascinating for me to listen to and i have a bunch of stuff that i've kind of learned through this conversation um so uh, thanks again daniel thanks for doing this because it's 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 been awesome and um i I've, i've enjoyed it i hope you've enjoyed the conversation as well Absolutely. It's, uh, it was great to hear that you knew about COBOL as well. It's excellent that your grandmother uh, uses VR. And um, no, thank, thank you very much. Uh, I love talking about video games because, uh, you know, uh, I, love, I love them very much. They're very close to my heart. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky, uh, actually, that I get to work uh, doing something that, that I enjoy. Yeah. And uh, I'm lucky to be surrounded by uh, really fantastic people uh, at, at Wicked Witch that, uh, that help me do it because, it's tough and it's challenging uh, at times and it's a lot, it's a lot of hard work. Um, so, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel quite blessed actually. So thank you for sharing the, the discussion with me also. I appreciate it. And, and thanks for coming on Global Victoria Tech Talks on, on IBM Podcast. You're welcome. Take care. I hope to keep in touch in the future. Likewise, likewise. Thanks, Dan. Okay. This show is presented by Global Victoria, inspiring global possibilities. Thank you all for tuning in. Do subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to us on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Do drop us a rating and review. You'll be helping us out tremendously. I hope you enjoyed that show. If you aren't following us on social media, please do. We're IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
would like to thank the sponsors on the network this week, Credit and Global Victoria. Thank you so much for making this possible. On Cyrus Says, Cyrus is joined by the hilarious and extremely charming illusionist and therapist Sohani Shah. They talk about different aspects of magic like sleight of hand, mind reading, mentalism, and more. The Habit Coach completed 500 episodes, 500, and Ashton has a special message for us on the occasion. Do check that out. We had Lekhini Desai, founder of the India Ethnic Company, talk to Varun Digirala about their story and the Hutkin marketing idea that made them popular. On Nankari, South of Anarchis celebrated World Chocolate Day. They took us through the origins, history, economics of chocolate, and shared their memories. On Tere Mere Raste, Keshu Chaturvedi shares an interesting story from Leh. Check out an updated version of The Traveling Professor's Diary. It's now rechristened as Smarter with Sid. Same old brain fill with new stories and insights. This time, listen to know why you should keep things simple. And finally, check out Global Victoria Tech Talks. This one is in partnership with Global Victoria, the trade arm of the government of Victoria and Australia. The edtech and gaming industries are booming in Victoria, Australia, and this series is meant to showcase that. And with that, I hope to see you again next week. Hi, I'm Zarina Punawala, host of the Empowering Series podcast on the IVM Network. I happen to be a peak performance coach and leadership coach by profession and I'm here to share with you productivity tools, life-altering techniques and real life hacks to help you achieve your maximum potential in everything you do, your relationships, professions, careers. So tune in every Monday to unleash your inner power. Be safe, be well, be empowered.